1: Hey everybody and welcome back to the Kodiak Shack podcast. Uh, before I get to our guest today, I'm going to get the admin because everyone knows if I don't talk about it right away, I don't talk about it at all. So uh, thank you everybody for listening. Like, uh, give us five stars, share uh, the episodes, tell your friends about us, and uh, subscribe on uh, whether it's Apple Podcast, uh, Spotify, YouTube. We've got our videos on YouTube if you didn't already know that, and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn because we're we're all over the place and we're uh, we're having fun with this. We're always of av- uh, donations are always available and uh, we're always looking for sponsors of episodes, Uh, so reach out at info at KodiakShack.com or check out our website, KodiakShack.com. All right. Now to the reason we're all here. Uh, today we have Emma. Uh, she is back. She was, I think, our third episode. I should have looked that up, but I'm, I'm poor at managing my time. But Emma was here previously, and she's bought, brought her father, uh, Tony, and uh, he is a retired two-star general. Uh, Emma, you know, everybody knows her uh, from the original episode. She was a intel officer from the Air Force Academy, and she also worked with operator types. Uh, South America, which uh, mainly was her focus, which was a very... Very cool topic. I had a lot of questions. Hopefully everybody enjoyed them. And uh, her father, retired two-star general, uh, was a B-52, B-1, and then B-2 pilot. Uh, and then he finished his career working um, at AETC and then helping Space Force get their legs under them. So uh, thank you, Emma and uh, Sir Tony. Thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Emma, once again, tell us about yourself. It's not a trap.
2: <laughs> sure. Sure. Let's see how my story lines up, maybe, from the last time. But yeah, like you mentioned, graduated from the Air Force Academy, class of 2010, um, and went into the intel world. Uh, I had a very different um, career for an Air Force intel type and really spent most of it with special operations. So I think I speak probably Army and Navy better than I do Air Force from my time in. Um, You're right. Spent some time in uh, South America working counter drug. And then uh, went on to run the ISR Kinetic Operations programs in Africa and the Middle East. Um, again, working with um, primarily tier, two, tier 1 and Tier 2 uh, soft units. Nice. Yeah.
1: Sir Tony, what do you got for us?
2: Well,
3: um, there's another little block of time that, you know, after <laughs> I left the Air Force, it was uh, uh, 20, early 2011. And then in 2012, I got uh, picked up by Boeing. And uh, after I retired from the Air Force, I did uh, a sprint with uh, an independent consulting. Uh, I had, uh, I think, three or four contracts. It was a blast. Um, A little bit of advice for your listeners on consultants. Um, Consulting is a very easy job because you... You walk in to, usually it's a briefing or working with the engineers, and you walk in, you say, get rid of all these slides, you got way too many for the customer, you walk out and get a check, (laughs) and there's no zero accountability, you know, and and the only thing you keep in the back of your mind is, you got to be kind of nice, you know, so you don't anger at your customer you know the guy the people who hired you so you get invited back that's the key part where you've got to massage it in a way where hey i like this guy the way he's doing it so yeah i'm gonna come back
2: every um, consultant in our industry just got fired today Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well done. So, so
3: people who hire consultants um be leery of that you know the price of it. You know that's hard-earned money that you're paying for, and uh, and if you are a consultant, you know keep your keep, don't have the fangs out. Keep your kid gloves on. You know you, you know have you've got to have some polish and customer engagement skill in that so that you get invited back. Um, oh, nice. oh, go ahead. But, uh, and and the other thing uh, about the consulting piece was. Uh, I was the only military guy. It was Aerojet, okay, before came Aerojet Rocketdyne. That was my first uh, one. And um, it, it, it was literally the engineers wanted to fill up every white space on that slide, you know. And, and I, I would tell them, you know, I used to get these briefings. And if you put math on it, I'm checking your math if you have all those words, I know there's a typo in there somewhere and I'm gonna find it. So whatever you're talking to me about, I'm not listening, you know? Because
1: yeah.
3: it's there, you have to be a, you. you don't wanna talk, you wanna have an engagement, participation on all people. I wanna tell you what I think. And if you got 20 slides in a 30 minute period, <sighs> I'm all. I'm wondering if I need a haircut. You know, what am I gonna <laughs> have for lunch? That's what. That's what happens. So, you know, if any there, anybody out there that's uh, thinking of being a consultant, call me and I'll help you through that process. Um, so after I finished the, uh, when I got hired for Boeing, I worked for Boeing for ten years. Uh, business development uh, in here in Colorado uh, was where location. And it started out as Space and Strategic Systems, and it morphed into um, uh, Air Force and Space Systems. So I had all the field offices for Boeing where the commands were for Air Force and Space. So obviously here, Colorado Springs, working uh, with Space Command, NORTHCOM, uh, STRATCOM, um, Global Strike, uh air combat command amc all so i had offices at at all those places so nine field offices i think across the country Uh, we did we even had one at nellis and eglin for weapons so that's what i was doing uh it was a fun job um uh, I got pulled in just about as soon as I got like within three months. I got pulled into the TX program and worked that through its iteration, um, and that was uh, uh, the that was really I think the best best program I worked, and I learned so much of how um, it evolves in the acquisition process. And quite frankly, you know, uh, I bleed blue, both Air Force and Boeing, okay? You know, that's up front. But the challenge many a times was internal with Boeing as opposed to the challenges with your customer. Because uh, the engineers wanted, for example, uh, as we brought the TX and started finishing that design, uh, somebody said, hey, let's make it air refuelable. That'll, that will really win it for us. And we had a fight because the, uh, the RFP and uh, all, you know, the, the l said nothing about air refuelable. And, and you know, that we, we, we harangued ourselves over that until finally, you know, we just slapped the table and said, no, now that airplane is plumbed for air refueling but they just don't have the receiver on it. So, you know, we we had to make a compromise.
1: Well, it's funny because I would assume most people, myself included, if I'm gonna say, hey, who's gonna who's gonna cause the issues? You know, halfway across the field in production, it's gonna be the DoD, not Boeing itself. But apparently, the uh, as we call it, the good idea fairy, who right. just floats around dropping these ideas, right. you know, exactly. exists yeah. everywhere.
3: And and yeah, hey, I got an idea. Let's paint the roses red. Yeah. You
1: know, uh, no, we.
3: It's not in the RFP. Um, and I worked other programs. I uh, worked many of the classified space programs. Um, did a lot on that, uh, and so yeah, it was it was a great uh, great opportunity, and I had a lot of fun, uh, especially with the people. M- the majority of the field offices we would hire retired um, people from that command. You know, re- uh, retiring colonel, boom, we get, we hire them. And now they already uh, they're off and running because they have all the relationships uh, with the command. So uh, we streamlined it, and it uh, you know the, the downside of that is you know retired military uh, really want to take off and run, but you know there's also bureaucracy, just like the Air Force. Any any big has that same same concept. You know there's uh, layers of bureaucracy that you got to. It it that's the biggest you know kind of toning it down, backing it off, get off the accelerator and, and keep going.
1: Well, and that's what it, having never worked for any of these, you know, larger companies, uh, I, I almost imagine, and that's kind of the case is where we, we have companies that work so much with the military that hire so much from the military. It probably just seems like military, like, you know, like sim- very similar, probably structures and styles, just, just in a different, um, in different organization.
3: Yeah, it it and it's true, and and um, it's a, a tremendous opportunity after your life in the military, you know, and uh, quite frankly, the the bigs also need that military mind of, you know, that's really not how they're thinking, you know. Um, when when the customer says no to something, you can't go back and say no. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I know what's what you need, you know. And you had to that you had to rein that in. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, so I retired out of Boeing last October 22, and then uh, hitched my wagon to Emma, and um, it's exciting and fun with what uh, what she's got going on.
1: Well, and that's what I feel like that's just her M.O., you know, I mean, like what's more exciting than working with operators and then getting into innovation and and always just kind of running around and making things, uh, happen, which, uh, that kind of leads to my next question. So, uh, obviously we know Emma has an Intel background and, uh, we're late to the game on, uh, on the Russia, Ukraine, which by over a year, uh, but that's about my timeline. I'm normally pretty late to stuff, but, uh, but then also, you know, the balloons over the U S there's so many questions that I think the American people and probably the world kind of got thrust into this. Hey, how, how do countries know, what is happening, what's not happening, what's flying in the airspace, what isn't. So from an Intel person's perspective, like how do you kind of gather information? How do you vet information out? And then how do you ensure that the information that you're like, yep, this is true, and you pass that on, how, how do you know what you're doing is correct?
2: Uh, the shorter <laughs> answer is you don't, um, <laughs> but you try to mitigate as much as possible. And, um and present options to people like on the other screen from me um, yeah. who uh, have to take on that risk and decide whether or not the the juice is worth the squeeze and the risk is worth the reward um, for any given like target, for example. But I would tell you that um, the challenge that has become increasingly overwhelming across the board in the Intel space is the tidal wave of information. There is too much information out there and um, not a great way to chew through it, if you will, um, at volume and with the volume and at scale um, for any one analyst. Um, and something that I've, I've really noticed was the case when I was serving, and I think it's still the case just based on the customers we work with, is um, no analyst is created the same either. And so as much as people want to get humans out of the loop um, with data analytics and being able to provide insights from big volumes of data, um, certainly possible, the technology exists, it's been proven and it's wonderful, but um, without that human who can really, really connect the dots on the mission side of the house and understand what those risks might be and, um, how you serve up a course of action to a a leader to make a decision. That's, that's a different problem set that I'm not convinced that technology is, is necessarily going to be able to solve in the short term, um, longer term probably. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, just to, to, summarize, the answers you don't really know. All you can do is find out as much as you possibly can in an oftentimes limited time period and give options. Uh, Luckily, we don't always have to pull the trigger on some of the decisions and we don't have to live with a lot of the risk, but in the particular job that I had, I did. Um, And so I just had to get really comfortable with my evidence that I presented and why we were going to pursue something. Um, and if I got approvals to pursue it, then we did. Uh, and, and frankly didn't look back.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, cause you could probably perpetually just be stuck in the rearview mirror, right. you know, second guessing. And, and, you know, I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It is, you know, as a, as a single seat, you know, type person, like I am very, very comfortable accepting risk for myself. And it is very easy for me to say, like, I will accept that risk. I am comfortable with that. But then when that risk extends beyond me and I'm risking other people or my mistakes will cause, uh, you know, pain or even like fatalities of the wrong people, that's when things start to get very concerning uh, for me. So now as as an Intel person gathering this data, and then you're going to, other people are going to go into harm's way or or people are going to make decisions to now to execute on these things. Off of the data you're gathering, that's, I mean, that's a different different ball game. And Let me, uh, I want to oh, ask yeah.
2: you a question, Vader. Oh, so oof. as an operator. Um, oh yeah,
1: I appreciate that by the way, you know, call you myself are. an operator. But it, you know, I imagine like some like, bearded, like hardcore dude. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Someday. We (laughs) count you as that. (laughs) Well, thank you. I don't deserve it. So
2: as an operator, you have to have been in a scenario before where the intel you were getting, which is oftentimes remote, right? They're not sitting in the cockpit with you. They're not, um, in most cases, on the ground next to a shooter. Um, So you're getting your information remotely. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been like, that Intel is, I'm not seeing it. I have the tactical level view right now and that is not valid. And what did you do?
1: Yeah. So I, I was lucky that it it didn't happen directly to me. Um, but actually uh, technically I don't know every, everything I did and the things that the employments that I have, have had in my past, uh, I did, I didn't get a negative phone call. So no news is good news, but but I am, I am. Especially, this was when I was an F sixteen guy. You know, when you're night, because I like flying at night. Uh, at night, looking through a targeting pod from any number of miles away, it is it's hot spots on a targeting pod, and you're told that these are bad people, and you employ and and the phone doesn't ring when you land, so it, it they probably were who they said they were. Now, the reality is like I don't truly know. I didn't have a target set with images and this is it's not like stealth where i'm like yep that person looks like the person in my pod weapons away uh so i i just trust that the vetting process was vetted correctly i have friends who were with me while we were deployed that whole vetting process happened a firefight is going on two different groups of people are shooting at each other they get clearance to drop as they are on their way to release the weapon the people they're about to drop on start moving So they abort the pass. The people that they were about to drop on drive up to the people that they were just shooting at and it turns out they were all on the same team. So that is one of those where the whole process was done. Like the vetting, the the people on the ground are saying those guys over there are bad people. They are, you know, in an active firefight. The whole process happened until they had a F-16 with a weapon in position to release with clearance to drop. And just by luck, they didn't. And thank thank goodness that was the case. So I mean, it's it's not perfect. And like you said, you can always second guess, and you wonder how many data gaps there were that led to people saying yes, like clear them hot. Yes, they're good to go. And so it, you know, thank goodness that's the way that happened. And sadly, just so people don't aren't mistaken, like. The, the wrong decision happens sometimes. And so, you know, and we, and we remember those and they stick with you. I mean, the, the decisions that might have been stick with you. So the decision that did happen and was wrong, like, yeah, that never goes away. So yeah, that is that is stressful. And that's one of those things where you're like, I, yeah, like I trust you. Like I, I trust Emma to provide the right information to the two-star general who's providing me the clearance to release and I'm gonna do my job. And you know, as long as everybody does their job, then we're good. So, I would. Uh, uh, I'd like similar. to
2: state for the record, real quick, that if anyone was flying over Iraq in the year 2015, all of your targets were valid and accurate. And thank you. you.
1: it. <laughs> well, thank I, you thank for your bomb
2: services.
1: Yeah, <laughs> happy to provide them. Perfect.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody messed up on that one. On your yeah. one,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. So, um, you know, just to, to pile on, I mean. Uh, you know, the first caveman walked out of his cave and, and fell into a tar pit, but his neighbor knew that the tar pit was there, right? Yeah. I mean, this this is a constant problem. And what you do have to rely on is the people surrounded you are, are, are truly immersed in their job and the trust is there. And that, okay, if there was a mistake made, you have the faith in that person to back them up as a result to protect them you know uh and and that's one thing I uh I think I always focused on in the command billet uh was making sure my staff were qualified and capable and put their heart into it you know there was enthusiasm for, from everybody to make sure that everyone knew the importance of that position any position um, Story. Um uh we're I'm in the B-2's uh wing commander, and we're building up to Afghanistan, and we were gonna be the first attack. And for a week they kept calling and saying, Tonight's the night, tonight's the night, tonight's the night. So we'd spin up and then spin down, you know, and and the crews would go back home. And it was Friday night, uh spin up, and then he said, No, not tonight. We go to the club, and then they, you know, of course, they call, and this is, no, it really is tonight. So we scramble, get the crews back, brief them up, and they're stepping to the jet, and uh, uh, Jimmy Smithers says, God, this is going to be a long flight. I wonder what for, what's for lunch, and everybody looked around and went, lunches? Lunch. <laughs> and we went, shit, my kingdom for a lunch? Uh, you know, there <laughs> goes that star. <laughs> and this airman who was detailed to be a, a bus driver, take the crew out, said, Sir, if you could find someone to drive my bus, I have a key to the, the chow hall. I work there. So we go, Yeah, get going. And he built a bunch of lunches, and they put them on the airplane. It was two jets, you know, 30-hour mission, so you got to build those things up. And, and the crews went out, started their uh, stuff, and the bus comes and drops off the lunches, up the hatch, and off they go. So, you know, <laughs> there, there's always something that could got uh, you know, that gotcha out there. And, and no matter how much you think, I mean, we rehearsed, we, everything, but it was like, well, you can't make the lunches every night because what are you going
1: to do with them? Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's the thing, you know, when I think about like airplanes and the fact that we, I mean, just make them fly. I barely understand that, but just overall the complexity of the things we do, I mean, just to fly around your base. Yeah. Not even flying around the world for 30 hours. And it, it makes so much sense because we focus on the highest threat. What's the, the most dangerous? What's the most likely? And then we all, as we're probably snacking, talking through all this stuff, forget about some of the, the most basic human things. And it's it's amazing.
3: Yeah. And, you know, your crew chief, I mean, think of it. He could do one little, he could forget one little thing that could ruin everything, yeah. you know, but, but it's just amazing how these crew chiefs, I mean, what, the, they're an unsung hero, I, in my opinion.
1: I agree. And I think, I mean, trust, I think it, so much of the military revolves around exactly that. Like I had a squadron commander who he, uh, he stepped to spare. So we we're trying to same combat or uh, deployment. Uh, he, his jet break or my jet, brakes on takeoff. So I don't get airborne. He gets airborne. So as I'm going to my new jet, he doesn't have enough gas to wait for me and then me get airborne. So he just goes max AB, burns all his gas, lands real quick. So now I'm waiting on him and he literally gets out of his jet. As he walks up to the new jet, he goes, is this a good jet? And the crew chief goes, yes, sir. Walks up the ladder and he's in the jet. And that's the thing where it's just like, I trust you. You're going to do your job right, and then I'm going to do my job. And it's it's a huge organization that hopefully we can do that with everyone. I
3: wo- I wonder if other air forces in the world can say that. You know, we uh, when I was at AETC, we had several uh, foreign company uh, countries come visit to understand our NCO process. They wanted to know what responsibilities they have and how do they get there, and you, you know how uh, every commander is joined at the hip with the with the the chief, you know the, the chief master, that that really is the person who runs everything. Yeah, who runs the flight line, and everybody knows that. You know, uh, uh, and and if you think, oh, that's my flight line. <laughs> you're kidding yourself because he's what every time you go out there, he's watching what you're doing. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I, I mean, I, again, that man, that's so many of my first deployment stories are coming back up, but uh, the chief, you know, the chief, he was, he was hardcore and uh, it, uh, well, I'll say his name. He, he probably didn't care, but chief Klein. Awesome dude. I mean, I, I didn't obviously work with him much, uh, but he was very like his maintainers. We were deployed so who cares? You're deployed. And he was like, Nope. Like rules are rules. We follow them at home. We follow them here. And, uh, I asked him, I was like, Hey chief, like, you know, I know you got mad at some of the guys about the sunglasses they were wearing. Do you care? And he was like, I don't care about you. And <laughs> I was like, yeah. I respect that. Cause he's like, you're, I'm not, you know, I don't deal with you. I deal with my guys. My guys are going to do this thing. You do whatever you want. You go do your, your, you know, pilot thing. Uh, but I just appreciated Cause he took his job very serious. And he said like, you're not my responsibility. So that's, you know, yeah. and, and I, I appreciated the guy he was.
3: But, but ha- yeah, I, I, that's another, I think, part of the recipe for my success was having, having a darn good, uh, whether it was squadron command, group, wing, um, having that chief that you sit down in the office, you got any burn in your saddle, let's get it out. And let's walk out of here. And it's good for the good of the unit, too, because the unit wants to see that. Yeah. And that if the chief jumps on somebody, he knows the commander's got his back. And chiefs love to get on officers. Man, you know that. They, <laughs> oh, yeah. they, they are waiting for you to do something that's not right, and they'll come after you. What are you teaching my airmen? That You know, I mean... It, they're great they're worth worth their weight in gold
1: yeah and i i mean we lovingly refer to it as being chiefed you know like something yeah. happens the chief calls you out you're like Oof, chief yeah. got
3: me um at ellsworth that it was a great honor they made me an honorary chief it's probably the greatest yeah yeah
1: well and i think that's you know, you talk about, you know, being part of organizations and, you know, if you, if you can't be in the organization, obviously, cause you were an officer and a general officer at that, the, uh, but them saying like, we, we bestow this, like we see the things we pride and we appreciate in you so you can become an honorary. Yeah. And I, that's, I mean, that, that is a it, it, full
3: circle since I started
1: out enlisted. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah.
3: So it was full circle.
1: Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The uh, so now obviously we're talking about trust. So now uh, if if people don't already know, because I didn't say the last name because I know I'm going to butcher it, so I apologize. Uh, but Emma and uh, Tony here are uh, father and daughter. Is if you don't mind me telling everybody. Uh, but trusting the people that you work with, and uh, and then Emma obviously she's been in innovation for a while, and then uh, you know Tony having been in the military and then Boeing and then now in innovation as well. So so what kind of Uh, trust exercises are you getting into nowadays?
2: (laughs) Curveball. Uh, (laughs) I feel like every day is a new trust
0: exercise,
1: yeah. I assume,
3: but you got to admit, it's getting closer and closer. It started out with new people you don't really know, you think you know, but you got to admit, I mean, it's it's narrowing and your doubt is a lot less than it was when you started out.
2: And we have a super, we just have this amazing group of people that are, are getting closer and closer and gosh, like I just feel so honored to be a a part of that. Um, And I think the challenge and the trust exercises that I probably need to Google real fast and figure out is how do you bring new people into that? You know, when you have that core group who's, who's rowing the boat and they're rowing fast and hard and, and feeling it, how do you bring in a new rower? Like that's, those are the things that I'm like, oh, I have no idea. So Vader, if you come up with anything, please, please let us know. Um, and I, the other thing that I would share is like, I mean, like even just with my dad and what it has taken for us to pull together what we are doing. I've asked for trust from a lot of people in a lot of different forms, um, some monetarily, some just of their time to like, trust me, this is going to work out and this is gonna be wildly successful for anyone that wants to be a part of it. And um, I, man, feel sick to my stomach most days because I asked people to do that. So now I got to figure it out. And so that's my own little trust exercise I'm going through is how do I deliver on these small increments that point to the bigger plan that one day I get to say, see, I told you.
4: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone.
1: Well, and I think that's the, you know, the, I don't think there's, well, there's probably a lot of trust exercises in the the fighter community that I don't even realize is happening. I think a lot of it is just trial by fire. It's just, you know, like you're the, everybody's rowing, everybody's making it happen. You don't really know exactly what you're supposed to do, uh, but jump in there and, and give it a good shot, you know, and, and you're probably going to fail maybe, maybe not completely, but in some way and you just got to kind of roll with it. Totally. The yeah.
2: You know, people
3: can say that, yeah, we trust anybody, but the real trust is is stressed and measured when something goes bad. and that's it. when when something goes bad and if you're you become completely isolated, that's not a strong trust bond there. Uh, but when things go bad, who's there next to you saying, "Hey, what can I do to help?" You're okay. Don't worry about this. It'll come out all right. You know, that kind of encouragement, that's where the, the, the test of trust, I think, is really measured. I've been through some things, and the people I thought were there for me were not. And, and the ones who were there, I was surprised by it.
1: I think that's where, you know, there's that old saying, like, where the rubber meets the road, but the reality is, like, that's where you really see who you can trust, who you can rely on, and, you know, and who can actually help you get things done and, and make it happen. Um, and, and those things happen every day. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's parking your
3: car at, at the squadron, you know, <laughs> <laughs> trust the guy's not going to ding your door. You know, the small things like that. But at the end, it, it says a lot.
1: Yeah. Well, the uh, so now what is uh, Strike working on now kind of to, ch- to help uh, kind of change the game? Because I think we, you know, we talked about trust. We talked about previous endeavors and everything. But what what is happening there?
2: Yeah. Um, this is my favorite question, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Um, So where I left off with my background was I got out of the Air Force after all all that intel work and running bad guys down um, and went right into tech because I was enamored with the idea of bringing better tech back to people like me and my friends and family that were um, left to serve uh, in uniform. And so spent some time in the tech industry and really kind of came to this conclusion that uh, the warfighter needed warfighters on this side of the fence that can really help them identify capabilities that exist on the market or could be created based on things that are on the market that help them do their jobs better. So uh, Strike Solutions, I'm proud to present, uh, is a solution integrator. We are focused primarily on mission expertise, so we hire mission experts, and we design and integrate exquisite technology to give to the warfighter. Like no kidding, in the field, in an individual's hands. Um, And the most exciting thing about what we're doing right now is we have a hardware and software product that we are fielding in kits for operators that is no kidding, tying um, sensors together. So it is sensor fusion for the tactical collection layer. Um, Where I think the magic will happen in the future for us is um, how do you tie that to the bigger picture? Nobody has a great tactical view of what's going on to what we were saying earlier, Vader, where you might, and this, thank God didn't happen to you, but you might get intel as an operator that you're like, that is not what I'm looking at. How do we fix that? Because that's a huge disconnect. And how do you empower people like Tony um, in their former roles to make better decisions because they almost have their eyes and ears on the ground themselves? Um, so it's been very, very exciting. Um, we are fusing together all kinds of radio frequency collection with video collection, um, Bluetooth, cell phone. Like we're doing some crazy stuff and um, couldn't do it without our team. hundred percent. It, it, a foot a stomp
3: team. on that is the team that is doing this stuff came from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, 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 Uh, it's, they know they've got a good insight into what is lacking there as they call it the edge, you know, that's, that's the front, um, they know what is needed there. So they work towards that, but they also have the credibility with the customer. And that is very valuable. Very, that is significant.
1: Yeah. Why not? Oh, and I would say like as an end user, you know, like there are engineers who are wildly smarter than me that can build tech that I can't even dream of, but they don't understand what I know as the guy uh, in the seat, you know? So we're talking operators out there who are, you know, we're talking data gaps, you know, like I need the information and, and it may exist out there because, an AWACS has it or uh, an F-22 or F-35 has some of this information or the person on the ground is seeing the thing that the F-35 needs to know where it is and and how do we fuse all this information. So everybody is looking at the same battle space because just like, I mean, it, it is uh, – we didn't plan this, I promise, but, the, you know, like you said, like the, the fact that we had like – it wasn't blue on blue fire, but, but effectively friendly fire that we were unaware of and almost employed on one of the the groups just shows like if we had a better way to battle track, battle management, battle manage, and and understand the battle space, like we we can hopefully preclude a lot of that.
2: You're spot on. And that what worries me the most, so we're in business because we want to, I mean, candidly, we want to mess with China. And what worries us the most is the sophistication of the threats that come out of there are going to have a ton of noise. And it's going to be very unclear what's real and what's not, and where is the whack-a-mole right now. Um, And without layering on every layer, every single possible layer of information that you can get, I don't know how you solve that problem, but at the same time that creates the same problem I spoke of earlier, which is there's too much information. Like how do you actually sort through that? And so our entire approach is let's start at the tactical level. That's where we're going to start. And we're going to start by collecting all the noise that's around an individual. And we're going to put that all together so that you can very quickly know you have someone following you. You have this weird car that keeps showing up. And they keep changing license plates, but it's the same car. And so we're, we're trying to solve that at the very, very ground level so that we can extrapolate those lessons learned and how this works at the operational level and then hopefully at the strategic level at some point. Um, but very, very interested in how we can solve that on the ground.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean... Just the example you gave, I was like, oh, that's wild. Like that just seems, you know. I mean, there's people who are really doing this stuff. Like I said, like the, the real operators. But the uh, yeah, and and how do we how do we get that into their hands? And because our biggest problem is like, how do we build these things to make them secure and so they can't be exploited and and mess with and things? But then also make them user friendly and all and have connectivity. Because the problem is like, ah, oh, I'm sorry, I can't log into my nipper to get the crypto or you know like how how do we kind of blend that of the you know the art and the science to act to to get that to be the product they want in a user-friendly way
2: I love that question and and super our team is so passionate about that and um I think it lies solely on partnerships so that you can truly bring in people that are the best at some particular aspect of, of what you're trying to deliver that doesn't play in the space, but they do something like GUI creation really, really well. And with that, I mean, I'd love, I, Tony, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the consortium, but definitely talk about Altia and kind of the light bulbs yeah. that went off on that.
3: What a bridge! You're, uh, a uh, I calm <laughs> train. am
2: trained. It's Friday. Really? You don't know how many cocktails I've had, so we're good. <laughs> yeah, uh, in the
1: zone, okay. the sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, so
3: so part of of this uh, as we get involved, there's a, a nonprofit called Catalyst Campus, Technology and Innovation. Their their uh, uh, growth and its whole. The focus is to bring small companies in through an accelerator and get them jump started to go after their uh, to get their pro- product to market. Um, and a piece of this, uh, the, the founder of it uh, came up with an idea as these companies kick off, let's bring them together and create what he's calling a consortium so we're members of this consortium. This is the first one he's done. There's uh, nine companies involved in it, and you know he, he's he's very intelligent in the fact of okay these are the customer the companies I'm involved in, and he tried to get threads between two and then throw us in a room and go after it. The first meeting we had uh, in Arizona. And the companies came in, Strike gave their pitch of of what we do. Uh, SEMCO is a telemetry um, hardware and and data collector. Um, uh, Semantics is all about language and recordings and and kind of using um, AI to build databases uh, on on what uh, for example, uh, their plan is to be able to have a system where you can put in keywords of the work you do and it will automatically feed you. You won't have to go to Fed, FedEx, you know, Fed, uh, Gov,
2: yeah.
3: Ops, any of that, it will be able to push the RFPs that come out towards you. You don't have to constantly go in there. So that's pretty cool. Um, so we spent that, and then uh, this week we had a, we brought the engineers in to talk to really get technical, um, and, and you know dissect everything got down to exactly what they do, and there were constant light bulbs going on in the room. Um, uh, w- Semco, okay, produces um, these telemetry kits. Okay, so it's it's electronic gear. What happens when uh, Strike, with our product from the West, from the East Coast guys, what happens when they land 150-unit order to Border Patrol? How are we going to produce 150 units? Well, SEMCO, Emma went there to visit them, and we could just push the order to them, and, and you know, they got an assembly line. And there you go, 150 units. We couldn't, it would take us a while to build that. So, so all these things are happening, you know, in the room. And it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, the, one of the partners in this concept uh, told us, you know, the first one, I had to do a lot of talking. And now I didn't have a chance to say anything. Because you guys were just we had to we had to you know rein you in because the engagements were constantly going, and you know you might he- mishear, you know, not pick up on something that's said on the other side of the room. So the energy level, everyone uh, uh, it's also based on trust. you know don't don't ask me about my secret sauce and then take it and run. you know there's a you got to be cautious. But that's how we are building that trust, by getting face-to-face, comparing notes, and saying, hey, we need to partner with you for this. So it's pretty exciting. We just, it kicked off just this year, right, Em? I think it, the concept that he was, he, he we talked about it last summer, uh, and, and it was pretty, you know, made us giddy about it. But, but you got you to have the right people doing it. Everyone's got skin in the game, you know?
2: One, Jeff, if you don't mind, just one pile on to that, um, just to come full circle to your question about like making things usable because technology, I mean, engineers love to over-engineer things because that's what they do and they're brilliant. And, and at a certain point, you got to make it so that like I can use it. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, one of the companies uh, is a company called Altea, and they build all of the graphical user interfaces, almost all, of them for cars. So think about the most intuitive type of GUI that your average human has to be able to work with. He makes them. So how could we find on this earth a better partner in then also having him create a GUI for operators? who you can just dictate to him, hey Mike, this is kind of like what we need. It needs to be super simple, lowest common denominator. Um, they're probably gonna be shooting while they're using it. So like <laughs> keep that in mind and he like loves it and knows very little about that space. So it's exciting for him. It's a huge pickup for the DOD. Cause it's like, now we have a new thought leader that we didn't even know existed. and uh, yeah. And that's also been very cool, I think. About about that that is
3: probably one of the best uh, examples of a partnership that's going on.
1: So it's really
3: exciting, Jeff. It it, uh, I really love participating in it.
1: When and. the thing that I always argue, you know, when people ask me, like, oh, what's, what's a war going to be like against a, another big country, you know, or anything like that? And, and I like to believe, I don't know for certain, but I say, you know, I actually think Emma and I talked about this last time we were on the podcast together, was, you know, it, when the United States and, and our entire country brings the entire weight of all of its effort and the entire might of everything it can produce, it is uh, theoretically and hopefully overwhelming. And I think now you're doing the exact same thing. You're taking a ton of people and instead of fractioning them off into small, different organizations and everybody's super excited, motivated with possibly, probably a lot of overlap in what they're trying to produce or able to produce, you put them in the room together and then, you know, sparks fly because it's motivated people who are excited about what they do who now get to talk to other motivated people who are excited about what they do. And, uh, so it, that's awesome because, you know, I, uh, you know, it's kind of a sidebar story. Uh, you said, you know, you have to be able to use it. So my buddy, uh, Tron, really good dude made, he said our mission, like F 16 mission planning is not good. So he made a website. It's called Viper ops. And, uh, it's super good. They now of it's effectively the de facto mission planning program that, pilots use. And, uh, and he would just send it to me and be like, Hey, see if you can break this, you know? So he, uh, you know, he used me as like, Hey, you're an end user. You're terrible at technology. So, uh, go ahead and see if you can even make this happen. So I think it's great that you not only are collaborating with people, but then bringing people on who can produce products that end users can actually use. Cause Hey,
3: hey, did this guy, uh, get any compensation for
1: that? For, uh, for making the product, Viper no, it's out there right now. It's, he he pays to put it out there every oh, month. Yeah. He has to pay <laughs> AWS. Us. Emma, like, he'll come up with Emma. All right, sounds good. Yeah, we'll, we'll snatch yep. him up. <laughs> Tron yeah. listens. He listens, so he uh, he'll be hearing this. I'll, I'll let him know because we talk all the time. But yeah, oh yeah. Um, sorry, totally derailed the conversation. No, but, I.
2: Uh, I once, you, once you
3: get out of the military, your whole perspective of life changes. That yeah. you know, you you uh, you you use your uh, brain power for the good of your family.
1: Yeah. When I think you can still do so much to help the military, even though you're not there, you know, you continue to serve oh. just in a different way because oh, these yeah. these operators are still need products. They have problems that they need fixed. And you're now in a position, you know, when you're not as a military member to actually fix these problems. So that's amazing.
2: And I could not like double down on that more. I mean, and I don't, I obviously my dad's had a different path than I, I did. I had a wild, I was doing some wild stuff there and totally had an impact when I was serving in uniform, but my gosh, I know I'm more impactful on this side um, to your point of just being able to move, move differently. Sorry, there's small school children obviously walking by and my dogs are so mean to them. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, to your point, like I feel like I contribute just as much, if not more now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt it. And, and you, know, Oh, go ahead. No, uh, I was just saying it's that
3: time of day there. <laughs> yeah. Um, the yesterday just as a antidote you know they're we're trying by commit by committee to give a mission kind of a mission statement describe what this consortium is all about and for about 10 minutes you know words are being spread it's it's like seven lines already and it's just and I finally just said hey um you've got to say in there somewhere that we support the warfighter because once you say that no company nobody in the world is going to say oh we don't want to do that you know what i mean no one will do that yeah so so we had to insert you know support supporting the warfighter which is what we do. We really do no matter what company is in there, you know if they're doing a flight tests for uh, out in the Uter or, or NTTR is it NT yep. um, that's for that's for, you know that's the warfighter doing that stuff. And so it's it, yeah. uh, you got to remind people sometimes about that.
1: I think a lot of people, don't realize so i mean talking to uh uh brian from uh Vermeer, uh when we were talking he's like before i started working with the military i just assumed you had all this gucci stuff like everything we had had to be decades older than what the military had no it's like turns out it's exactly the opposite you know so it's there are prob yeah there are problem sets that you know have probably been solved 10 times over in the private sector that the, the DOD is still just struggling through. So, I mean, people out there, I mean, the podcast was created to, to connect people, to help people kind of interact and understand that there, there are people out there who are trying to solve these problems. And, uh, and it, it sounds like that's kind of happening with the podcast. And it sounds like that's happening here with this, you know, kind of accelerator and this consortium you're creating.
2: Yeah. We're, we're excited to be a part of it. It's an exciting thing to be, and we're probably the smallest company in there and the the newest, one of the newest. Um, So just trying to help think about projects we can bring some of these other companies to bear on has been really fun and exciting for us.
1: One, I think you have a lot of insight into, you know, obviously with your background and and the people that you have with your company, they can provide input that these people probably have never received before, you know, prior to sitting down. So I think, you know, just being a small company doesn't doesn't negate the the benefit that is brought by having you. When you're when you're kind of tackling these problems and you're trying to work and collaborate with other com- companies, obviously it's it's probably the the elephant in the room It's like how do you go from ideas and creating in theory to creating an application and how do you get companies to either align their goals and or or put aside their, their own kind of, you know, we all have our, you know, I, I want to, you know, my company to flourish. Like how do you kind of align everything when you're producing uh, products like this?
2: Um, Man, that's such a, that's such a great question. And something I think we deal with daily. Um, We go on a lot of first dates, like a lot of first dates. And the second dates are always like, okay, maybe there's something here. And you know, why about the like third or fourth date if you haven't committed to um, and this is something that we always push commit to proposing something with us commit to putting some skin in the game you're not going to get paid for it but we're going to compete together and if we win then we then we do and we get to build something cool together and the people that survive into that third fourth date status where we're we've picked an opportunity and we want to go after it those are the ones that we want to work with um the ones that aren't willing to like throw their expertise in where we don't have it, uh, really no interest in that because that's not that's not how you start a partnership or a team. Um, so that that's kind of how we vet through that. Um, I would tell you the majority, like it gets whittled down really quickly. Is is what I'll say. And and for like no fault of any companies, like everybody's busy, and so you just have to find that right sweet spot of. People that you want to work with, A, because why would you work with anybody you don't want to at this point in the game when you have all the control on that particular front? Who do you want to work with? And who wants to work with you? And do you have a shared space or an idea that could come together well? And is everyone bought into that vision? Um, and you fix you figure that out pretty quickly along that along that continuum.
1: Where do you feel, obviously you've, you've been in the game for a little while, but but how do you how do you meet new people in this space? Like, obviously there's a lot of conferences and the more I look, the more I see conferences, but how do you kind of vet out? Like, these are great places to to interact with other companies, you know, that that are working in the same area.
2: Um, you guys do bro checks. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, that's we do true. a
2: lot of bro checks. <laughs> nice. And uh, I would tell, I'll tell you, I haven't been in this space certainly as long as my dad has. But like the same companies will start to come up over and over again. And they have a reputation for being excellent in a certain mission space, for example, or at a certain piece of the technology. And the more you hear about them, the more they pique my interest. And then we'll go out and ask everyone that we know, like, hey, have you ever worked with or what have you heard about um, X, Y, or Z company? And, um, And a lot of it is word of mouth, to be honest with you. And I have found the loudest ones on LinkedIn and the ones that are in all of the articles are not the people that we really want to partner with. (laughs) Sad to say for anyone wasting those marketing dollars on breaking defense articles and not breaking defense is great. That was just a bad example. (laughs) More on the rocks can be included. All of them. All of them. The people that, um, that tend to shine through their work are the ones that you hear about. And those are the ones we gravitate towards. And I'm, that was not meant to be disparaging.
1: No, it's just, it is funny,
3: but but it's so true, you know. Yeah. It's so true. You, um, I, for me, watching Emma at work, what I see her, her her real forte is networking. Oh, I mean, she um, she her personality ha- is kind of a magnet when she walks into the bar. You know what I mean. Um, and many of her people in her network, as she builds that trust with them, they start giving her vectors on who you need to be involved in this program. You know, uh, whether it's through partnership, whether or sub, whatever it is. But she gets a lot of vectoring from her network, right? Em, I mean, oh, you do,
2: yes. everyone gives us the answers to the test at some point so (laughs) i mean i and just being nice to somebody and having a strong liver has really done well for us to be honest uh i got that from my dad um so yeah and it also doesn't hurt i mean let's be honest vader like how many how many chicks are there in this space like it's we're different. We look different. We talk different. We think different. And so I think that that's attractive to people to want to like mix it up a little bit and get get better jokes other than fighter pilot jokes in the room. You know.
1: Yeah, which those are good too, though. Yeah, you know, I mean they're those, okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they do the best. Cheers.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, but and and it's a tactical advantage. You know, it provides you an opportunity to to stand out. You know, be beyond just like another. You know, like blue slacks and uh you know tucked in polo or whatever it is so yeah so i think there's so now <laughs> i have i have one more question and then i'll let you get going uh this is uh this is kind of like a you know I'm, I'm a parent obviously so uh tony getting the opportunity to work with your daughter you know and then you know proud pop moment kind of thing like how is it obviously having seen her grow become a grown-up and have a career and and this this experience that you get to share
3: yeah, well, no, it's it's a it's a thing of beauty. It really is. It's exciting uh, to like I said a couple minutes ago. Watching her work a crowd is is just fantastic. Um, it it just to watch her do that, and then she'll grab me. You got to get meet this guy, and you know I'm I've met so many guys, but I don't know what they do because she'd say, oh, you got to meet this guy. So I meet him, and you know I turn. Turns out that one time she had me meet this guy and he was like a multimillionaire and, and I had no clue. You know, it was like, hey, so what are you doing here? Eh, well, I'm doing, you know what I mean? Um, but, but that that's really the biggest joy I get is is watching her in action uh, because it's it's really powerful. It's a skill you don't see very often either. You know, there, there. It takes a lot. An engineer would never be at that level, because you know the engineers want to get their slide rules out and measure <laughs> the table. Uh, I
1: shouldn't have said that. Maybe. Nah, you that's all right. That's good. The uh, now, nah, I mean, I, there's,
3: I'm sure, some engineers on this.
1: Yeah, but I think you know what. At least the fighter pilot community, no offense to engineers, but you know, we, we say we love nerds because again, they build things and weapons and all the things that I could never do. And we could never be in those shoes, you know, but you know, we all have our role to play. So I, I couldn't agree more. I I appreciate the heck out of them, uh, because I wouldn't have a job if they didn't make exquisite technology that I could go break. So, uh, so, well, awesome. I really appreciate you joining us on the, uh, or joining, I guess Bender's not here today, it's just me. So joining me on the podcast, uh, but Emma and Tony, thank you so much. How do uh, people reach out to you or Strike or, or if they wanna you know, dive in with both feet or, or jump in, I guess they wouldn't dive with both feet. But either way, how would they in, get in contact with you?
2: Absolutely. Um, well, we have a website. It is live. It is uh, strikesolutionsgroup.com. And I welcome anyone to reach out to me at any time, Emma at strikesolutionsgroup.com. I love connecting with people and meeting people through Vader has just been amazing for us. So, um, and if we can help anyone, we're in it for the long haul on this and trying to make this community and this industry a better place. So let us know how we can do that for you.
3: Yeah. And through that, anyone uh, interested in getting some career counseling, I'd be happy to do that.
2: Or consulting advice, you know, if you're still in that business after
3: a day. Career advice. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, I did, I did, uh, the darkest time of my whole career was when I was commander of AFPC, three and a half years. So, um, first six months, I had every friend in the world call me just to check in. (laughs) And, And after the first year, nobody called me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, well, the hopefully the at least the bar was fully stocked for a little while when they were dropping off bottles. Hey, you know, congrats yeah, on the new job. Yeah. Here's some. Yeah,
3: Friday day. Friday uh, afternoons I would go visit the uh, fighter porch and the, the the guys who really had it were the Intel.
1: Oh the yeah. The Intel
3: guys were stocked. Only top shelf, too nice how so many there crappy
2: you know. assignments that's why
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta pay to play yeah, i didn't i i would never ask uh how they got it you know because
1: you don't want to know was it yeah. wasn't
3: my responsibility
1: that's exactly sometimes you don't want to ask the quen- questions you don't want answers to exactly uh, well awesome well thank you again for being here everyone like we talked about at the beginning like share subscribe uh spread the word let everybody know about it and reach out to uh strike because uh they're doing some great stuff. Help them do more great stuff. And then uh, donations are always open. Sponsorships and um, are always welcome. So, info, kodiakshack.com, and then uh, kodiakshack.com, where you can also find the episodes, which uh, I'm terrible because I, I think that's the first time I've ever said Check them out wherever you are. All right. Thank you both again, and uh, thank you, everybody. See ya.